Hello and welcome to the Replatform podcast. So this is episode 20, we're cracking up the episodes now. Uh, it's myself, James, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, uh, Paul Rogers. Hey Paul, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Surviving, how are you doing? Yes, yeah, surviving the apocalypse. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. how is remote working going for Vivant? Yeah, it's okay. I think um, t- it took a little while to adapt, but um, yeah, apart from kind of the boredom, it's not too bad so far. Well, thankfully for us, um, this isn't impacting the podcast because podcasts are perfect for remote recording. So we have another uh, episode for you today. It's going to be quite a uh, quite a, ch- a chunky one, actually, on uh, the topic of replatforming and going through the experiences of a client-side head of e-commerce and what replatforming process was, what the experience was. I think learning life in the coalface is a really, really important thing because it's all well and good talking about what good practice for replatforming is like, but actually hearing from people who've gone through it and what they've learned and what went well and what didn't is massively, massively important. So we're delighted to welcome Andrew Chart from Anderton's Music on. So uh, good morning, Andrew. How are you? Morning, James. Morning, Paul. Um, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you very much. Yeah, other than the, uh, the strange things going on in the world, I'm pretty, pretty good. Yeah, and uh, you were saying to us, and you, you, you've got your team now fully set up for remote working as well. Yeah, which um, is pretty new to us. You know, we, we've always had a bit of a culture where being together in the office and trying to keep the team together as one, one individual e-commerce team without being split up across multiple locations has been quite important for us. So, um, yeah, it is a bit strange, but we've got, uh, yeah, we've got video calling stand-ups going on every morning with. 15 or 16 people on them so that's been good I, I know how to do a I know how to do a conference call now yes it's uh, it's never easy having to realign processes because the communication you get so used to face to face is always a bit different um, when you're doing it remotely yeah it's, it's quite nuanced actually like um, I think the better quality you have in terms of like video recording video um, calls and video conferencing systems I think makes a big difference actually and um, yeah, we've we found it pretty good so far. Actually, hopefully, it sort of sets a precedent for the future and enabling people to work a little bit more flexibly. We'll never have to talk to human beings again. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, well, thanks for coming on. Really delighted to have you on. Um, and yeah, so what, to frame this for everybody listening, the reason once and get Andrew on is Andrew's gone through a complex um, uh, migration from uh, an in-house bespoke solution to a third-party off-the-shelf platform. We'll talk about which platform later. And our whole premise on on the Replatform podcast is that replatforming is complex, it's time-consuming, and at times stressful, isn't to be taken lightly. No project ever runs 100% smoothly because it involves technology and people, and actually learning. From from other people who've gone through this process and, and the key insights they've got from it is a massively important thing for everyone. Every single person I ever talk to, no matter how many pro- projects I've done, I learn something new from every time and that's really, really important. So I know we're going to get a wealth of information, Andrew. We're going to, we're going to rinse your brain dry on a Monday morning, Andrew. How does that feel? It feels, um, it feels like Monday morning is probably the best time to do it. <laughs> exactly. We thought we'd get in early before you didn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. cool. Are you ready for some questions? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So I'm going to start nice and light and then we'll work up to the more brain draining ones. But uh, interesting. So this project that you worked on for Anderson's, was this the, the first time that you worked on a major um, replatforming project or had you done it before? Yeah. And um, do you want me to, sorry, do you want me to like introduce 
the company a bit because I'm not sure that everyone would know. Yes, no, know. sorry, that was my mistake completely. Please do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, Anderson's is a um, musical instrument retailer with sort of a rock and roll musical instrument retailer. So when you think of the kind of little music shop where you, you would walk in and see lots of clarinets and trumpets, that's not really us. We're kind of more electric guitars and drum kits and noisy instruments. And um, we're one of the biggest UK retailers and um, primarily serving UK customers, but we do have a pretty big international audience because we've got um, a YouTube channel which has 600,000 plus subscribers now. So um, we've got quite a presence in uh, if you play guitar or if you play drums. Um, and um, yeah, we've kind of built that up over 10 years. I've, I've been at Anderson's for 10 years and um, I was sort of like the second member of the e-commerce team there. So actually, I, when I came in, I certainly wasn't doing head of e-commerce role. I was much more doing website content and listing products online, catalog management. Um, and in the time between then and now, I've kind of done lots and lots of different roles to facilitate Anderson's e-commerce operations. So I've kind of cut my teeth there um, and got to the point now where I'm um, overseeing the team, uh, trying to make sure that uh, the team internally runs smoothly, that we put in place the right technology to um, support the team and to support our growth. So um, I, I do have a kind of commercial role now where I've got to keep an eye on um, the P&L and the budgets uh, to make sure that we're running smoothly. Um, but yeah, I think I've kind of had the experience of lots of different things within e-commerce. So um, hence, hopefully I was the right person to choose to do the re-platforming. Excellent. And um, had you done a re-platforming prior to being at Anson's or was this the first time you went through it as a process? Um, uh, we, we actually did something at Anderton's um, a couple of years prior to, to um, the re-platform we're gonna talk about, which was we, we essentially re-platformed, but within the same software, if that makes sense. So we kind of had a system, a legacy system that was written in uh, ASP.net, which had long been deprecated. Um, sorry, I didn't mean that. We, we, we had a um, legacy system that was written in classic ASP and um, it was long since deprecated and we, we were struggling to develop it. So we essentially re-platformed, but with the same company. Um, and we moved to a .NET version of the platform. So it was sort of like a re-platforming project in that we had to um, implement completely new software, but um, with the same people and similar scope so there wasn't so much um uh it, it wasn't so much like a project where people came in and didn't know what they needed to do it was almost like that was the easy re-platform where we just had to refactor code that makes sense um so i have a question um what were the main kind of drivers and objectives um for this project like why did you choose to re-platform to a whole new system and also kind of what were the challenges you were looking to address sure um well we we were 
to give some context, I think we, we were on a bespoke system or for, for all intents and purposes, a bespoke system. So we had worked with a, a small agency for probably the best part of 10 to 15 years, and they provided a lot of our IT solutions. So um, stock control and warehouse management and ERP, and it was all sort of done by this one company. Um, and they were sort of, when we first started doing e-commerce, which was quite early, you know, maybe around early 2000, um, they were sort of the obvious choice to bolt an e-commerce platform on for us. Um, we went through probably um, five or six years where it felt like we we could only really add one significant feature a year. You know, it was kind of feeling a bit sluggish from our perspective. There, there were plenty of ideas flying around um, because we're a relatively niche industry as well. I think there was an, there was an element of um, there was a sort of feeling that we wanted to um, do things that uh, satisfied our niche. So, our, you know, just as an example, we um, we would benefit from three tiers of product um, product and ski relationship because we uh, I'm fumbling a bit at this point. Um, you know, I think I think we were we were we had some relatively bespoke requirements sometimes, and um, so we were developing this system quite slowly, but nevertheless, it was becoming more and more tailored to Andertons and what Andertons needed as a retailer of a specialist product. So um, I think we were struggling to see how we were going to continue to grow uh, if we continued at that rate. You know, I think we felt like there was a big risk that we wouldn't keep up with the competition um, because we were developing too slowly. Um, and there was an inherent risk as well of just all of our technology being with that one provider. So um, being that they were a small outfit as well, there was a risk that if they were to stop, um, you know, to cease doing their business, then we would be in big trouble because we would have to replace everything. So I think, you know, the, addressing that disparity in the rate of growth that we were having versus the rate of growth that um, could be sustained by the small technology company was the main thing from my point of view um, with this background point of de-risking the whole IT operation. Yeah, and I think that's a common common thing people experience actually. There's the, the flexibility um, of having a, a, a customized solution, but then the challenge of rapid scaling and if you want to roll out new features and having to look at the release complications. So yeah, I think I think that's not uncommon with a lot of other businesses. So uh, thank you for thank you for giving us some context to that. And how did you? We'll talk. Uh, Paul will talk to you about the platform you finally chose in a minute. But I'd be really keen to see how did you go about evaluating vendors or SI partners? Like, you know, where did you start and what did you decide to assess? Um, I don't, you know, in all honesty, I don't think we knew where to start. Um, this was probably 2016 when we did this. So um, to give some context about what was out there, I think it was still, um, there wasn't a lot of talk about the cloud and there wasn't a lot of talk about um, 
breaking down monolithic platforms and microservices and things like this. So um, we didn't know any better other than to go, we think we're just looking for something like Magento where everything appears to be bundled into one thing and you can customize it as you want. So with that in mind, I think we went out and we started looking for um, people that provided Magento solutions. And probably luckily for us, we stumbled upon a consultant instead who kind of came in and said, you know, he he listened to us for two hours and um, listened to us talking about why we wanted to do the replatforming. And he kind of went, okay, I, I, you know, I think you should be looking at these platforms. And all of a sudden we were kind of had sort of four or five names on the table that we hadn't heard before. So um, we were probably quite lucky that we even did a, a beauty parade, but essentially that was the process was that we, we tried to find somebody, um, we, we, you know, we tried to gauge the market and then we found a consultant and I think we quickly, we quickly understood what value that the consultant was bringing by just basically going, here's all of this stuff that you didn't even know. Um, so that was a key point, I think, in, in our project was the fact that we we just had somebody there that knew the market. And um, again, now I think internally at Andertons, we know what's out there a lot better. But at the time, you know, we were just another business that was, um, you know, feeling some business concerns and some and some internal sort of pain points and worries. and you know, e-commerce platforms was definitely not our specialism, you know, again, given that we've been working with the same people for the last 10, 15 years anyway. Um, so actually, you know, the, the value in having those consultants there, I think, was easily paid for itself throughout the project. Um, and then beyond that, it was simply, we put an RFP out. Um, I think we took, we went to five platforms and within each platform, we went to two different SIs. So the idea being that um, as well as trying to select the right platform, we were trying to select the right integration partner and to make sure that there was some competition within all of that space so that it wasn't just a case of if we wanted Magento, then we would end up with this particular partner. You know, I think there was, there was a kind of methodology to that RFP where we tried to make sure that we... Um, allowed the, the integrators to compete as well as the, the platform providers. Um, again, a decision that was advised to us by the consultancy team. And um, I think it, it made a lot of sense, um, but we probably wouldn't have necessarily approached it that way if we'd done it ourselves. Okay, fair enough. And uh, how, how did you define success criteria? So how did you work with a consultant to establish the success criteria against which you'd evaluate them? Because there are thousands of potential comparison points for capability, but also, um, you know, the service provision of an SI. So where, where did you focus? Um, I mean, again, uh, the value of the consultant here was that they, they had template RFPs. So um, that was a good starting point for us to just kind of go take a step back. What is an e-commerce platform and, and just try and see that in fairly vanilla black and white points on the piece of paper and then you can start to go through and go okay I, I I can say confidently that I you know we did a Moscow rating for example against the RFP um, and 
once we had that template one filled in it was like okay where are the gaps and we we basically all the way through the project we were um benchmarking against what we currently have live so um probably slightly different if you're starting from scratch but certainly obviously we had a site live anyway so it was almost like okay well we have a feature there that isn't mentioned in the rfp so we need to add it so again i think having that um pre-templated document even though i sort of said earlier that um you know anderson's felt we, we felt like we had bespoke requirements but actually when you look on the rfp on the, the template you're kind of going okay yeah that is what a e-commerce website does and yes other people do have those requirements so um actually having those documents just given to us rather than having to come up with it completely from scratch was an, another big time and cost saver probably um so that that was sort of the the low level success criteria is does, does the platform perform the functions and then i think we would we were also just looking for um platforms which or, or you know, we were looking for the pitches that really sort of inspired us and it sounds pretty um fluffy and subjective but one of our frustrations i suppose with working with the smaller agency was just that they didn't have time to blue sky with us and they didn't have time to kind of try things and um fail at them and decide that they weren't the right thing you know we kind of had to go through this whole process of really picking the things that we thought were going to make the biggest difference because we just didn't have time to develop any more than that so um, we were almost looking for people who were willing to kind of have those conversations with us and excited about going, what could we do that's a little bit different? And um, again, there's, there's maybe not so many anymore, but at the time it felt like there were a few features of our site that we, um, we kind of used as examples of the innovation that we wanted to pursue within e-commerce. So um, we as as an example because we sell guitars and that and guitars are made of wood they all look different so um when we sell very expensive guitars um we will take photographs of actual individual items so even though the items might be the same skew within the catalog we would actually take a picture of um you know an individual serial number of the guitar and advertise it on the website um, to allow customers to pick between the different looking ones. So if they preferred a particular wood grain or they prefer a finish that's a bit more um, kind of tinted than another finish or um, people could compare that. And that was, you know, we, we were doing that probably 2013. I think we were doing that and we held that up as one of our big differentiators. It was something that we were doing that certainly no one else in the musical instrument industry at the time was doing. Um, but also it was something that wasn't really with a lot of precedent within the wider e-commerce industry. So we kind of held that up as a feature that we, you know, we were quite proud of. And we, as well as saying, we wanted to replicate that in the new platform. We were also saying, we want to have these conversations with you about how do we innovate doing similar things like that, that suits the musical instrument industry and the guitar industry and excite customers 
um, and essentially, you know, leverage Anderton's ability to um, develop our e-commerce platform better than our competitors, hopefully. So we, we were looking for that kind of inspiration in the pictures as well. Um, I think we had a base feature set, which most of us internally at Anderton's were familiar with because we'd worked on the site. But we were also looking for that sense of we're going to be able to have this ambitious roadmap on the table and pursue it. That makes sense. Um, I think that's all really interesting. Um, I have a question, so slightly different question. So you talked a bit about looking at Magento um, mm-hmm. and you ended up selecting IBM. Um, so what made you go with IBM and also which other platforms did you end up looking at along the way? Yeah, so I think um, to paint the picture, we looked at five um, it was uh, WebSphere Commerce, so IBM at the time, uh, Magento. We looked at Demandware, which is now Salesforce. Um, we looked at a company called Aurora, who had two or three kind of UK high street clients at the time. And we looked at Hybris. So um, we kind of had two enterprise players within IBM and within Hybris. Magento was very much cheaper. Um, it looked more like the mid-market option. Um, and then Demandware didn't work for us because it's a GMV model. So um, essentially we, we operate at very low margins. So um, it, it didn't really make sense to, to chuck 4% at the platform, just operating and standing up for every sale. Um, and in hindsight, that was, the right decision by the way it was it's very much you look at that decision now and you kind of go demand where would have been incredibly impactful on the business because we've just had a a kind of um couple of years of really struggling with margin even beyond what we were used to before so it would have crippled us a little bit um so yeah we, we when we were looking at um our final three were Hybris, IBM, and Magento. And we really, the strength of IBM was in the way that they sold it. I think um, they very much met that criteria that I talked about, about coming in and kind of going, firstly, giving us the time. You know, I think that um, the sales team at IBM did take the time to understand the Anderson's proposition. Um, at the time, IBM were very much talking about trying to tackle the uh, SME e-commerce market um, by offering a cloud product for the first time. So they were very keen to sell it because we were the, the right fit of clients for them. Um, we were impressed with the features, and you know, to, to this day, I think that we we think that the product is. Um, out of the box, one of the most fully featured products on the market. So um, we'll talk a bit more about that later, maybe. But, uh, you know, I think we one of our sort of requirements was that we had to do as much as possible out of the box without bolting on additional solutions. Um, So, you know, I think really what swung it was this just edge on the marketing features, so customer segmentation and behavioral targeting and things like that, which were built into the platform. And the fact that 
the sales team were very engaged um, and it felt as if they were, um, yeah, they were the ones that were going to be most interested in Anderton's as a business and, and using us as a showcase, um, as a showcase site basically. And that gave us a bit more um, leverage than we would have had with hybrid. Um, the difference between IBM and Magento is a bit more stark because the, I think the feeling we got was that there was nothing wrong with Magento. Um, we liked the SI and we liked the Magento um, team as well, I think. So it was much cheaper and we liked them, but there wasn't that kind of X factor to it. And when I say X factor, I think there was more that needed to be bolted on to Magento that we didn't feel like we had the capacity to consider um, all of the additional solutions. Um, and yeah, it, was, it, it really was just things like the marketing and the CMS tooling that felt a little bit more mature and established in IBM. That makes sense. Um, and I guess from that point to now, um, and having gone through the replatforming project, what, um, what went well and why? And what did you learn from this process? If you were to start again, you would do differently. Yeah, I mean, so much to both of those questions in a way. Like, I think um, what went well, we, it, so we've been on the platform for two and a half years now. We went live in October 2017. Um, that go live date was a hard date. Um, we sort of couldn't afford to miss it. Um, so the fact that it went live on that date was something that went well. I think the, again, with the help of the consultants, I think we governed the project pretty well, um, at least the, the initial six months of implementation. Um, we were able to sort of keep everything within control, keep everything within budget. Um, and just hold people to account. And I think that that was the, the main thing that we wouldn't have done without the help was just being able to hold everybody to account effectively. You know, I, I don't think that we had the internal program management and project management expertise to be able to do that. So having somebody fighting our corner um, was, a, again, a good decision, I think. And um, I wouldn't really recommend if, if you were in our position, you know, maybe at the time we were, say, 20 million pound business, 25 million pound business um, with an internal team that was essentially a marketing team, a, a website marketing team. I wouldn't really recommend going into one of these projects without some help. Um, so I guess the, the fact that we were able to um, enlist that help and learn through those people about what it meant to manage a pro an e-commerce program um, was a success. I think in that two and a half years, we've probably nearly doubled in size in terms of turnover. So um, certainly the platform has supported us to, um, to do that. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the tooling itself, I think we're, we're generally pretty impressed with what's in the box in IBM. So that's been a positive outcome of the project is that 
we're doing so much stuff now that we just wouldn't have been able to do on our previous platform. Um, for example, e even simple things like merchandising and um, uh, manipulating search and merch, I think was something that we we sort of do you know we, we look at that now when we kind of look at search and merch and go oh we we wish we had more tools here and more things to play with but at the same time it's probably better than what we were using before um and the the segmentation and um customer segmentation and marketing tools with an ibm are good um for an out-of-the-box tool and again, I think whilst they might not be best of breed, um, we're still get we're st sort of still juicing them for what they are, and um, that's quite important to a business like Anderson's. I think that we do have a relatively simple stack, and we're very selective about what we bolt onto it. Um, and we kind of, you know, I think sorry, babbling a bit. Um, we, we, we definitely we like babbling don't worry keep babbling it's <laughs> um we we yeah we we definitely felt like it so for example some of the people that have come in and, and looked at what we're doing internally with the team have commented oh you know nobody uses that from ibm out the box like everybody bots on this or bots on that but you guys are using it so i think that the fact that we did have that minimalist approach at the start and we felt like we had to juice the investment because it was top end of our budget and you know borderline whether it was affordable or not for us um that's kind of been a good outcome in the sense that we didn't you know we had that it's one of those examples of where you have a, a restriction but you turn that into something a bit more positive and you kind of actually go okay how am i going to work within these boundaries to to do something really good whereas when you don't have the restriction you don't you're not forced to clear those roadblocks or clear those hurdles yeah i, I think that's quite an interesting one actually because um you often find with people they buy into a platform but then they bolt on specialist third-party tools which obviously adds cost and you there's a clear rationale for it because they're best in breed but i like the approach you've taken which is you know, basically rinse the platform for every bit of functional capabilities you can get until the point where there's such a clear business case that you need to invest in something else. So I think that's quite good advice for people to take away is don't underestimate what you do have under the hood. And sometimes it can be sufficient, at least in the short to medium term. Um, so yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah, I mean, just, just to, just to um, keep going on that point briefly, um, I, I would really encourage that line of that way of thinking because, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I had experience outside of Anderton's, but I've seen other businesses who have just bolted on everything under the sun, and it's like, what value are you getting from the platform? You know, the plat for us, the platform is expensive, and um, it's, you know, the more the more that we can use it, the better for the ROI. Um, we we've done. I'm not saying that the tools within IBM are um, necessarily best of breed, but for example, we, we haven't bolted on a PIM onto IBM. We, we're just using the tools that they have. And yes, there were some inefficiencies and some, some sort of frustrations, but it's not really, um, you know, it's something that we can work around and we understand the compromises. Um, actually, to, to, with the PIM, we've enriched it. So we've kind of got, we've 
after a couple of months of understanding what the limitations of it were, we turned to the, AP, the, the OpenVest API for the platform and just went, okay, how can we fill in the gaps? And we've got a couple of internal developers that um, uh, were able to do that, you know, so relatively simple things interfacing with the REST API. Um, and you can quite quickly enrich the PIM without having to bolt on another, you know, couple of grand's worth of monthly fees. Um, and, you know, that might not be for everyone, but for us, I think that's, it just kind of, we're forced to think that way sometimes because um, at the moment we're on the cusp of being able to afford um, a platform like WebSphere Commerce. So it kind of meant that we had to um, innovate a little bit and um, do a little bit of our own internal development to enrich what was in the tool already. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's quite common in a lot of places. If you have the development resource, I mean that's obviously a luxury. Um, it's a good thing to have in house. But yeah, interesting. So let's flip that because what I'm what I'd love to talk about now is like let's go from the light to the dark because the reality is no platform's perfect. Um, it never can be to to individual businesses. So I'd love to hear as well what problems did you experience um, having switched to to WebSphere. Um, and what did you learn from it? So maybe it's operational problems or maybe it's capability gaps. Yeah, what were the key things that made you have to rethink or, or have to like firefight? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there, there were a lot, you know, I think that there were, um, we had issues with, let me just list a few. We, we had issues with performance. Um, we had issues with SEO initially. Um, we had um, difficulties within the project in terms of um, managing, it was project management really, and, and um, again, I think that's partly a learning experience where we maybe didn't have, as much as I said we had good governance, I think there's always, you can always improve, right? And that there were certainly some sort of slightly tense moments throughout the project where expectations were clearly not we, we weren't on the same page about things and expectations weren't being met so um there was some you know some difficulties around that um in the time since going live we've had um i, I would call them sort of operational issues uh, not all of them technical. I think some of them are, a lot of them are technically rooted. So for example, issues with payment gateways, issues with security certificates. Um, but really the issue has been in the, in the management of the platform and the, the actual run of the platform, as well as the, the code and the build of the application. So um, there have been a lot of challenges, I think, the main one that sticks in my mind, well, the main two that stick in my mind were the performance issue and just the, the ongoing run of the platform and the business model that IBM were operating at the time. Um, so we, you know, we are not an on-premise solution with IBM. We're, we're in the cloud and it's managed, hosted. So um, essentially we have the SI team that manages the application, but they're responsibility stops at a certain point and where it's related to infrastructure or configuration or servers or 
um, networking, that becomes IBM's responsibility. And that certainly for a long, long time was a real struggle. You know, I think firstly, you have the obvious thing, again, obvious in hindsight, maybe, that you just have the SI and, and the vendor pointing fingers at each other half the time. Yeah, Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's yeah. like all these things, are, until you've gone through a particular operational model, with an e-commerce platform it's things that you wouldn't even think about but yeah it's and having been used to having it all with one partner i can imagine that that was a real real headache to get your head around that and and unpick and how did you how did you manage to tease it out because this is something that often frustrates people is they well where where is it how do you how do you really work out where the problem really lies if both people are saying actually you know it's there yeah i mean we went i'll, I'll be really honest like we i spent probably most of 20, 2018 and half of 2019, basically pulling my hair out over this particular problem where we just felt like we were being battered um, by the fact that this, that the, the way that we were operating the platform wasn't really working. And it was, it was just such a big distraction from um, uh, the, driving forward a, a progressive roadmap we were really just trying to get on top of um get on top of issues and yeah. um struggling to and it was just things like when the site went down like it was not quick to come back up and the fact that it went down at all was not really we, we weren't really used to that you know um and we couldn't we, we was we were trying to escalate and um, you know, one of the things that I think was a is a negative of working with IBM is just the 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 processes and structures that they have to put in place because they're such a big organization means that you are always four or five levels of hierarchy away from somebody that can actually do something. Um, so you know, we were, we had you know the phone numbers. Well, we probably had a hundred names from IBM. Um, that had engaged with us in some way throughout the course of the project or the program after going live. And um, I think we, we almost worked our way through everyone and just went, who's going to help us here? And, and you know, we, we went sort of right to the top, uh, sort of, in terms of we went to the most senior people that we, we could get access to. And we really, really struggled. And um, it was really interesting when they sold it um, which was at the beginning of 2019, they, they made their intent clear that they were going to sell the IP to HCL. And um, it was almost like we realised at that point, the penny dropped, that they they had changed strategy. You know, everything that we'd been sold in 2017 and um, about the um, this idea of targeting the SME market and being a big e-commerce platform player within that market and getting away from enterprise um, had that strategy had changed and you know I think that's one of my learnings I suppose to take away from this is that over those kinds of periods of time you know one two three years the world does change and I again reflecting on should we have chosen Magento well Magento just gone through the same thing by being acquired by Adobe and there's been a lot of uncertainty for the clients there um so you know i don't think that, that we would have necessarily been any better off if, if we'd made another decision but definitely one of my learnings is just 
understanding the operational model it wasn't even in our heads during the project that that might be a problem but when you again when you think about it in hindsight you kind of go well what are the motivators for people and what um who's really going to have an interest in a, in a company like Anderton's and I think you kind of start to understand why that model doesn't quite work and um, also with the advent of, of the fact that they were letting go of the platform it kind of started to become clear so we're in a situation now where firstly I think that we we're pretty convinced that the managed hosted model with a managed hosting partner for the um, infrastructure and a systems partner for the application was a bit of a failure for us you know it didn't it didn't really work um we are um I, I would say at the moment i'm pretty optimistic about the new world but we do have to spend a lot of money to get there and um, so the new world for us is um licensing directly with hcl commerce um and essentially just having a licensing um, arrangement with the vendor of the platform and then having the application but also the infrastructure run by a single partner so the phrase being one float to choke and um i think that that's going to probably be better for everyone because the, the integration partner won't feel like their hands are tied um and they'll have a much bigger frustration in our success and um from our point of view it means that we yeah we, we've as i say we've got one one person to one party to go to to solve issues and um hopefully hcl having bought the software are more vested in its ongoing development which again i think i'm optimistic about that um and uh, from what I've seen, it's, you know, they, they do have a really ambitious roadmap for the platform and it, it's, it's really quite quickly going to bring it into a uh, make WebSphere Commerce a cloud-first platform, essentially. So um, the, the final bit of sort of interesting stuff for me on this one is that when the deal with XShield did go through, um, after a few months of everybody finding their feet, we did find some very good execs at IBM who are now guiding us through this transition. And I think going all the way back to, we couldn't find the right people, the hierarchies are too big, um, the processes are too, um, uh, don't allow for any creativity or any out the box thinking. Um, what I think we eventually found was the people who had worked on WebSphere Commerce for 20 years and they were just proud of what it is and, and they wanted that to continue within an HCL um, world. So eventually finding those executives was is probably put us in the best place that we've been with IBM in the sort of 20, 24 months we've been with them. So uh, I am optimistic but um, there definitely have been some really hard learning curves there and, and stuff that, you know, I, I'll be very honest, has really pushed me, you know, it's really, um, as well as sort of emotionally pushing my buttons sometimes, 
because you, you kind of feel like you care so much more than anyone else cares. Um, but it's also pushed my, my sort of, uh, the way that I think about um, commercial relationships and operating the platform. It's not just about the feature and function, it's about um, how does the whole thing work together and what are the people like? So, um, you know, what, what, what people are truly invested in the product and what, what ones are the ones that just um, kind of have to say whatever they have to say, either because it's, um, you know, meeting their own kind of KPIs or whether it's because... Um, I think that's know. a really good... Sorry, I think that's a really no. good point, actually, about the, the, the people element and the relationships. Like Paul, I know um, from previous conversations with Paul, he's seen similar things things where people have been stuck in that kind of like gap of where's the responsibility haven't you yeah absolutely i think it's um it's a really interesting one particularly with platforms and sis that are new to cloud products i think there's quite a big gap there and often it and seems to end up with kind of finger pointing and calls with both parties and trying to escalate to different executives it definitely sounds very familiar i've seen that quite a lot recently with a couple of platforms um so i have another question for you um, so if you were to start again, what would you have changed and how would this have benefited the project? And then also, um, are there any decisions that you wish you could have, or are there any parts of the project that you wish you could have allocated more time to? Yeah. So I think that the most obvious one to me, um, is probably around that initial RFP. So what, when I said it was a template RFP, it was, maybe 300 lines um so we, we had 300 points where it's like should do this should do that must do this must do that and when i look at that rfp now i kind of go i could have easily made that four times as big five times as big and whilst i'm not sure how productive that is i do think you've got to be with with as the from the client's perspective you've got to be very very clear about exactly what it is you're expecting i don't think you can make any assumptions really um and especially with us you know i think um where there's nuance in the requirements you've got to say it at some point and you've got to make sure that it's captured so you know for me i think that that could partly be done by making the rfp a bit more granular um at the time that we went into the project, we were we were not really documenting anything within the team. You know, we were kind of just going, here the knowledge is within the team and we train each other and largely there's no there's no manual, there's no run book. Um now we've got a completely different philosophy, like and I would wholeheartedly recommend to anybody, even if you're not thinking of replatforming for another three or four years, to start documenting your current platform now because there's so much stuff that even if we don't really realize it is in our own heads and um, the fact that we now have a rich specification and we keep it relatively up to date and we're not just specifying the platform but we're, we're specifying the um the ways that we work within the team and the processes that we follow and we're, we're kind of putting checklists in and that kind of culture around documentation that we've moved to as a result of the replatforming project, I would sort of say 
that's what I would really like to start with if I had to do another one is just this sense of what are we doing now? Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? Um, because I don't think that's communicated in the 300 line RFP and two or three workshops. You know, I think that's something that's very much more ingrained in the business. And um, But yeah, I think fundamentally making the RFP a bit more granular, having existing documents that just sort of say, here's what, you know, even just simple things like here are the data fields that we have against our products. Um, it's not, you know, you can imagine thinking of any retailer that you haven't worked with, what data fields do they need to operate their business? And you can, you might be able to guess half of them, but I'm sure, you know, you wouldn't be able to guess all of them. And that's what the situation is. So anybody coming in trying to um, respond to your RFP is that they're making assumptions and um, you're assuming that they understand. And, and even if, like we did, I think we did a relatively good process, um, there's still 10, 20% where expectations don't align. And um, those are the bits that are painful within the project. So the more that you can mitigate against that, the better. I think we, we rushed the RFP quite a lot. You know, I think we, from having that template to deploying to the 10 um, SIs and the five platforms, the RFP was less than a month, you know, so it was very much if we wanted to get it live by the time that we did, we just had to get through it um, and, you know, burn the midnight oil on the RFP. And I kind of wish we hadn't had to do that. You know, I, I do think that we, we wouldn't have gone live when we needed to. Um, this is the joys of replatform, isn't it? Is, is there, there's always risk, there's always compromise, and there's always the hindsight of maybe we could have compromised here rather than there. And it's it's really interesting hearing your thought processes and, and what you've experienced because it, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people listening because no project I've ever done when I was head of e-commerce or when I've helped clients has run 100% smoothly. And there's always bits where you go, oh, bollocks, why didn't we think about that? Yeah. <laughs> and then you take that into your next project and go, right, don't mess that bit up. Uh, and then in the next project, you go, oh, bollocks, why didn't we think about this? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the most, I, I like your point about the, like, the um, getting away from assumption. And I think this is a critical takeaway for everyone. Is when you're looking at RFPs and getting people to pitch and present is, is not just the can they do it, but how do they and to what detail? Because that's the critical, isn't it? It's like understanding anyone can do something, but do they do it in a way that's right for you operationally? Yeah, that's it. And I think, um, uh, as you say, uh, I, it's not like I've done 20 of these or anything, you know, I think this is one client experience and it's not necessarily something that um, is going to be the same for everybody. I, I think, you know, some, some of the things like for me, it was quite unique because um, I was given so much of the responsibility. I think that the team within Anderson's that understood the previous platform and what it was doing was relatively small. So actually, it's kind of a luxury in a way um, to have a kind of head or sort of um, primary product owner role because you're kind of there going, I feel like I'm back to make these decisions. But at the same time, it meant that I was wearing a lot of hats. You know, I was kind of yeah. thinking about finance systems. I was thinking about um, marketing. I was thinking about um uh, how you know how the things work technologically so in that it, it kind of meant that there was a lot on 
my plate, which um, obviously causes a, a reasonable amount of workload and a bit of stress. But then on, on the other hand, I'm not sure that I would have wanted to have been you know, the sole person responsible for one element trying to trying to fight my corner with another five or six owners. Um, so yeah, th th those sorts of things are, I'm sure, nuanced to every business. You know, I'm sure that if I was to do this in um, a business where I was solely responsible for something like SEO, then I'd be sitting there just fighting my corner over SEO all the time and not really seeing what impact that has on other areas of the project. So. And I think this is the, this is the crux of it is that no one person can know absolutely everything about every platform or every part of a business and, and having skills to support you really helps. So it leads me on to like a final question I've got for you, Andrew, that I think is a really yeah, interesting one for other people listening is you've shared a lot of insights about the process, what you liked about it, what went well, the pros and cons of, of like technology choices and some of the things where if you had your time again, you might do things differently. If if one of the listeners came to you and said, can you give me your top two or three tips then for what we should focus on if we were going into a similar project, what would they be? Sure. Um, I think get that help. Um, if, if there isn't a strong sense of what's out there um, within the business already you know there are people out there who do know the market and it changes quickly if we were looking right now you know we'd be looking much more at the providers that were um strongly positioned for operating this in the cloud um it takes away a lot of the worry about that the um it takes away a lot of the it basically i think you know the the, the hardware and the systems and the more that you can run on systems that are cloud-based i think the more flexible you can be longer term and you, that's kind of a pretty new paradigm and something that we've gone through the learning process of whilst we um you know whilst we've onboarded onto this platform we we were very much um we were naive to what the cloud kind, what kind of benefits the cloud brought to running an e-commerce platform. Whereas now, I think that that is fairly imperative for a lot of, certainly a lot of businesses our size, that they don't get mired in um, dealing with hardware. I mean, we're a team of sixteen people, of which I've got two developers and one sort of um, product owner, and that's our only technical resource, really. So um, we can't really be doing heavy DevOps and heavy systems operations and security and stuff like that internally. Um, and the cost of doing that externally is significant as well. So, you know, I think the more that you can minimize that by making the, the underlying platforms, you know, essentially moving where that line is of responsibility to be more about what gives value to our business, so the front end, for example, um, and trying to make sure that you're really responsible for the front end of the site and back end can be run by um, an integrator that has the expertise, but you know, using things like the cloud to get the things like elasticity, so um, resource 
the amount of resource that you need to run the site in terms of computing power, for example, this obviously you can vary that when you're in the cloud platform. And those are the um, platforms I think that understand that um, this is what SMEs kind of need at the moment. Um, so that would be, yeah, I, I'd certainly be looking for somebody that knows the market and can see what the roadmaps of each of the platforms are. Um, and, you know, uh, certainly not saying that that's, that's the, um, the right thing for everybody. You know, I know that um, a, a pure SaaS platform will be perfect for a lot of businesses. Um, and that might mean that you, you really don't have to worry about anything whether it's in, you know, whether it's in a particular cloud or not in a particular cloud. Um, for us, I think we, uh, we're, we're, um, we understand more now how that those technological, um, the technological architecture of a platform matters. And those that aren't investing in that, I suppose, might be a bit of a red flag for me. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good takeaway because you've articulated the context of what's important to you, but the underlying principle is think about the, the technology principles that you want your business to adhere to because aligning a platform with those principles is really, really important. And if somebody's got a platform that might be brilliant functionally, but it doesn't align in terms of the infrastructure it gives you and the, the key bits that they take away from you, um, you might end up uh, owning parts of the technology stack that you don't want to own because you don't have the right resources. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I think um, my, my number two uh, tip, I suppose, would be that um, the, 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 the business should have clarity of its own strategy, whether or not that's a technical strategy, I don't think it really matters. I think clarity of what do you want over the course of several years and and where does that um where does your platform choice now put you um i think is quite important I, again i think a mistake that we probably made is that we just went we kind of just want we just want to keep growing and it was a bit too vague it wasn't really terribly strategic and um as a result we kind of went in going what are the features and the functions that we need to do that versus looking at the whole operation and going, okay, what, you know, I think we tried to do a, a TCO um, assessment, but I don't think we really did it very thoroughly, you know, so I think we got a lot of things, but we certainly didn't get what's the cost of developing the platform, what's the cost of maintaining a roadmap. Yeah. Um, and if we'd kind of just looked beyond 12 months and gone, what do we want? once the platform's live and we've had a couple of months of using it then i think we would have um probably made some better decisions earlier on and un maybe uncovered a few things that we could have worked a bit more on um yeah, yeah that's another yeah. interesting point the, co the cost implications and, and being crystal clear about what you want and how you're going to get it so that you don't have unexpected cost biting you on the backside later on yes that's another really interesting insight I think I think the, the the thing with cost for us was that um, we were we were very as I said earlier we were literally looking at Magento versus IBM and going okay Magento is a bit of a you know financially it's fine versus IBM which is oh that's really on the edge of what we think we can do and um, 
what we got right was the taste was the cost of the project and the cost of keeping the lights on once it had gone live but what we didn't factor in accurately enough was the what do we want to do if we want to then expand the platform customize it as more yeah. features um and we just had no idea you know that hit us quite hard where we were just like oh wow does it really cost that much um it just didn't seem to make sense but again um you, you sort of learn the hard way sometimes don't you so that that was the thing with cost i think we we got the project right we got the first year and a half right but we didn't get the remainder of the um the project right because we, we yes didn't have that forward thinking um approach we were all about getting to point a which was our go live interesting i think that's that's a couple of really I mean, they're, 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 they're critical things um, and they require time and thought. And I think that's often, you alluded, you alluded to earlier about that you had a critical timeline, you had to get cracking and it's it's often taking that time to, to structure up front that, that gets lost because you're worried about a deadline to meet. Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all a little bit short-termist, I think. And, you know, we, we, um, we intended and... I guess still intends to be invested in this platform for um, at least five years, if not 10. Um, so that was our kind of outlook is that we're putting something in place that's going to be with us for a long time. It wasn't like we were just trying to do, we weren't trying to do a stepping stone to another platform and yeah. like that. So the fact that we had a 10 year outlook in our heads, but we'd only really planned 18 months is, you know, again, in hindsight, um, it should be a bit of a red flag if you notice that. That's uh, yeah, that, uh, sage words, and uh, you know that's uh, that's brought us to the end of all the questions. So um, that's been I found this really really interesting. It's it's quite nice hearing as well that um, you know, some of the, the challenges you've experienced exactly in, in line with what I went through um, mm. when I was head of e-commerce as well. And and to be honest, there's still elements of that in every project I work on, and I'm sure Paul can attest to that as well. Yeah. Sorry, interrupted. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I see it in pretty much every project. Yeah, well, thanks very much for, thank you very much for having me on because, um, yeah, it's been good fun talking about it. And uh, I, I'm more than happy to just, uh, you know, for people to reach out to me. Um, cool. What's the best way for them to, to contact you? What's your preferred means of, of communication? Yeah, I, I'm more than happy for people to reach out to me by email. And um, my email is andrewc at andertons.co.uk. Um, and to have a chat, if anybody's, you know, looking at a project or thinking about something, I'm more than happy to try and, um, yeah, just give, give another sounding board to them, really, because I think I would have valued those kinds of conversations when, when we were doing yeah. it. Now that's really kind of you and, and to anyone who's listening what an amazing uh, opportunity if you're about to or planning to go through platforming you know get hands-on advice from somebody who's gone through it and lived it and and come out the other side and seen some of the things that could have been done better as well as appreciating what they did well so always useful to hear firsthand um so andrew from us a massive thanks really really appreciate you coming on and taking the time and sharing um so much insight for people it's been really interesting so um i wish you all the best for the remote working and hope uh, things get back to normal for you guys as well soon no worries at all thank you very much for having me on all right take care speak right. to you soon cheers guys thanks everyone